Hello, everyone, and welcome again to The Librarius for episode two of the Chief Librarian podcast. I am your Chief Librarian, Chris Morgan, and I am happy to be here. I am also incredibly tired, and more than likely, if you do a drinking game based on the number of times you hear my falsetto act up, you'll probably die. So I would recommend against doing that, even if you're, say, drinking water. Regardless, I have a really good show lined up for all of you today. We have two segments. We have another crusade segment, this time featuring a good friend of mine, Ricky Addington. And we're talking about the Iron Drakes, his custom Space Marine chapter with his own color scheme, history, and even unique model rules he's developing. And if you are interested in crusade and interested in creating your own models and units, I would definitely recommend listening closely to what Ricky has to say. It was a really fun conversation. It's been way too long since I've been recording with Ricky and I really enjoyed it. Definitely we'll be having him back on the show another time. For the other segment, we will be doing a segment on Enuncia, which I teased last episode. Enuncia being a magical language, we'll be talking about some of the origins and influences and inspirations from history and mythology for Enuncia as a concept in Warhammer, as well as talking about language in general, words, meaning, and how to incorporate Enuncia, a canon concept, into your games of Warhammer 40k as a way of changing canon to suit your whims, desires, and creative impulses. So I had a really good time preparing that. It is a little bit of a solo session. Hopefully I keep the narrative interesting enough for you so that you don't get bored. That would be bad. So far as announcements, I am recording this intro at the end of recording all of the other stuff for this episode, and it is late, late at night, the night before War Games for Warriors, which you would have heard about on the first episode. I was very excited today to get the box full of books from Guy Haley here, and there were quite a few of them, and one of the coolest things in there was the Darkness in the Blood Collector's Edition set. Now. This is a set that was already signed by Guy Haley. It was one of those limited run Black Library things. Comes with art, a special postcard, a short story, a little journal, and the, the book, the novelization itself. But Guy, when he received it, actually went in and put in a unique little bit of commentary, just a, a little saying, something to make it even more distinct and special than all of the other ones. And if I didn't already have one, I'd be sorely tempted. But this will be going up for the charity auction slash raffle, however that's going to be managed by Mario. If that's something that you're interested in, I don't know exactly how long the raffle slash auction is going to be live for, but if you are interested in donating to War Games for Warriors, check the links in the description, and you will have not only a way to support the great charities that we are sponsoring with this event, but also you can reach out to Mario to see if you can get your hands on some drawing tickets for those cool prizes. All in supporting great causes like Children's Miracle Network, Primary Children's Hospital, and the Fisher House Foundation of Utah, which helps families of wounded veterans find free housing when their loved ones are going through surgeries or medical procedures related to their service. So with those announcements out of the way, just talk a little bit of hobby progress. I was very productive the last couple of weeks. I was able to get the 
10 Hellblasters that I discuss in the Ricky segment of this episode. To a playable state, they still need some love, but they are very recognizable as what I intended them to be. So that's good. I got a Redemptor Dreadnought finished. I got a set of three Eliminators finished, and I got a Primaris Chaplain on bike finished all in the last two weeks. That's a lot. That's like, that's a lot of progress for me, but it's still just an itty bitty nibble out of my backlog. I'm sure that's not relatable for any of you out there. Regardless, I am very happy to have those things done. And once the and once this weekend's event is finished, I'll probably be taking at least a week to catch up on all of the things that I let go while I was scrambling to get these things for my very unoptimized army list ready for this major tournament. One of the things, though, that I want to dive into and, and kind of, I don't know, take a break from my hobby while still participating in the hobby. I don't know if that's how you would describe it is the Warhammer 40k Battlesec video game, which I bought on Steam and played just a couple of missions on one night when I was feeling an abundance of time, maybe? I don't know. It's It was a long time ago. The game's been out for about a month now, I think. Regardless, me being a Blood Angels fanatic and Tyranids being my arch nemesis, I could not resist the urge to play in a campaign set on Ball Secundus and the purging of Tyranids there. I, so far, in my very, very brief hour or two of playing the game, I've been fairly impressed with it. I enjoy the, the idea of the narrative where the Tyranids could potentially return from the warp somehow. That's actually a really good device that the writers of the narrative of this game came up with. It's very familiar with the lore. I do feel like if you don't know Warhammer 40k lore, and specifically the lore of the Devastation of Ball novel, or the story, at least from the codexes, maybe you get a little bit lost as to what's going on. But basically, when the warp rift opened and it swallowed up the Tyranid High Fleet and gorged a bunch of corn demons onto the surface of Ball Primus, who were diverted by the channeling efforts of Mephiston and the combined Librarius of all of the Sons of Sanguinius, it created somewhat of a deus ex machina feel bad for fans of the faction who are like, oh, well, we didn't get to resist the high fleet. We were saved at the last minute by a warp storm and demons and Gilliman. But what if the danger still existed? What if there were synapse creatures on, say, Ball Secundus that were able to draw the high fleet ships that had been sucked into the warp out of the warp and back into real space above Ball Secundus? At least. That's the very, very small sort of threat that I was able to get in the very few, like two or three missions that I was able to play. So far as a reason to be invested in the story as a Blood Angel player, they certainly got me hooked there. So maybe I'll enjoy my break from painting and my carpal tunnel by partaking in a Blood Angel video game session or two or three or maybe zero. I've got a lot to get caught up on. <laughs> Now, one thing I suppose I should have mentioned earlier in this announcement and probably even in the first episode was the release schedule. I am trying to keep the episodes coming every two weeks released on Monday on the Frontline Gaming Network. Hopefully that's enough for you guys. I know it is it is a lot for me to keep up with. The show is a little bit longer than like your weekly 30 minute, 60 minute episode. So hopefully the little bit of extra content makes up for the fact that it's not weekly. So if you're if you are looking next Monday 
and you don't see another episode, it's because I'm still working on it, but it should be out the Monday after. So that is hobby progress. That is kind of my plan for the next two weeks. Aside from getting the next show ready, I'll let you know in the outro exactly what we're looking at talking about in the next episode. But for now, I hope you enjoy these next two segments, the discussion with Ricky and the little lore exploration of Anuncia. Without further ado, let us take a stroll into the Librarius. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Librarius. I am Chris Morgan, your chief librarian, and I have a very special guest today. It's Ricky Addington. This is weird for me, but I am here. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're, you're here and you're there and you're everywhere. We are here specifically to talk about Crusade and some of Ricky's Crusade projects. I've been following along with the progress he's been making on his custom Space Marine chapter including some of the, the cool rules and ideas he's had for making a framework equivalent chapter master to go along with his with his crusade chapter. But uh, first, Ricky, let's talk a little bit about you. I hate talking about me. No, you don't. That's uh, true. I <laughs> love me. Oh, the first time we met you, you, you talked about yourself quite a bit. Do you remember? To be fair, I think alcohol was involved with that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be I surprised believe. if you didn't remember. I, I the, it was it was at Adepticon and we went to that yeah. wonderful there was, sandwich what was that place. Restaurant? Yeah, I, I can't remember the name. It's been too long. I'm completely blanking on it. It had something to do with burgers, though. I remember it being very loud and I remember the food being very good. And I remember there being like 15 people at our table. Oh, yeah. And I think I knew four of them. <laughs> yep. Yep. And we got to know each other. We got to know yeah. each other there. You got really, really friendly, I believe. You I know passed I out you at least twice. You did. Yeah. You did. And you uh, you kind of passed out on or near me in the car on the way back. So that feels exactly like every Adepticon I've gone to <laughs> pretty much. But uh, I remember yeah. the next day you came up, you're like, listen, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't know what happened exactly, but I just wanted to apologize for <laughs> I just thought it that, was super funny. That also feels like every Adepticon I've been to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and after I feel that, like every Adepticon I go to, the next day is uh, me, uh, you know, making amends for for the night before. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I think my favorite Adepticon. I can't remember which one it was. We were in the team tournament, and I was I felt so bad the first day of it. Like I could not function. I played one round and I wasn't making it. And Justin uh, Pizzaferrato was there and he was hanging out with us. And he he just looks at me. He goes, 
and this was when I was still in. So he, you know, technically, well, still outranks me. <laughs> he goes, all right. He said, uh, I'm Ricky Addington now. You're JP. And he switches name tags. He goes, oh, no. Just go to bed. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I went back to bed and slept for two rounds. And then uh, came back, you know, and then and then I slept through it and I got up and I was feeling better and I come back down and, and everybody's having a good time. And then um, the very next day, one of our other team members was wasted. So he got to be that guy. So Justin was that guy on the next day. So oh, Justin boy. played two days in our team tournament because we kept having people fall out uh, due to alcohol. So uh, MVP of the team and he wasn't even on it. Listen, but yeah, I'm that, gonna that let pretty, everybody, that's pretty much a Depticon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to let everybody take the lesson that they need to hear from that right now. I'm not going to direct that lesson at all. I just, yeah. I think that really this has turned into a very useful segment in a, in a variety of different ways. Yeah, all things in moderation, guys. <laughs> Pace yourselves, unlike oh. me. Well, that's awesome. And you know, after that, we, we kind of loosely associated on the internet until we spent a, a bit of time together on Forge Narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, I think all said and done, you and I probably speak more than I talk to my brothers, which is <laughs> kind of weird. I, I have uh, probably a better better communication with you than I do my own family. I feel like we, we talk about 40K at least once a day. Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes not even 40K. Like, I, I think every now and then we'll get off on another tangent. But uh, yeah, I think I think we probably pester each other on the Internet at least once a day. Yep. Yeah. And then just sometimes we we draw out the ghost of Justin Troop to comment on the goings on. He commented the, the other day in, in our group chat. Yeah, I know. I didn't know what to do. Like, <laughs> I I was driving and it popped up on my phone. I was at a red light and I, I looked down. And, it, you know, his name popped up. And I was like, what? And I pulled over and got my phone sitting there reading. Justin Troop actually responded. I was in pure shock. And that I think that he, he pretty much inadvertently hijacked the whole conversation because we were so excited that Justin <laughs> Troop rolled over from whatever rock he was under and started talking about 40k with us that whatever he said i think you and i typed a novel about and we're like yeah no this 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 <laughs> it was exciting but i think it all, it all boiled down to just troop just play crusade and move on with your life oh yeah well i mean and that's <laughs> what we're here to talk about right is is crusade now i mean both of us have a history in the competitive scene and we both mm -hmm. enjoyed going to tournaments for years and mm -hmm. years and you know a lot of that for me was the social aspect a lot of it was you know a lot of love for my faction and and also just me trying to be prepared for judging and stuff at LVO and all the other stuff that I do for the competitive community behind the scenes. But Crusade with Ninth, I mean, that I was more excited about that than I think any other feature when they started talking about it. Yeah, One absolutely. The, like, I mean, when Ninth was coming out, you know, I, I was still of the opinion. I was like, well eighth is fine i mean let's adjust some points on some stuff and move on with our day do we need a whole new rule set because you know they were telling us like eighth was supposed to be here for a long time eighth was supposed to be evergreen they were going to you know tweak here and there and that's kind of what i thought is that we were going to have eighth edition for a long time and turned out we didn't have eighth edition for a long time and i was kind of I was kind of pessimistic about that but then they started talking about crusade and the more they talked about crusade the like just the more excited I got about it. And, you know, so I honestly 
did not play a since ninth edition came out did not play a single match play game to be fair covid right but did not play a single match play game until about three or four weeks ago i went to a tournament uh up the road a little in knoxville and that was the first match play game i've played in ninth edition was when a buddy of mine invited me down to his tournament and since but other than that it's been pretty much crusade nonstop. well and you took it even further than i than i did because when i was excited about crusade i was specifically excited about the the blood angel stuff you know falling mm-hmm. to the death company and pursuing a cure and and all of those different things that are important to the chapter in the book, but you never really get to play out on the tabletop. Now I know yeah. you as a hardcore dark angels player, but you took it a step further and decided to create a new chapter. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't go to a tournament or I can't play a competitive codex, right? You, you know that about me, like I'm going to play something that is guaranteed to get me three, two be- at best, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go three and two at best. And then Games Workshop went and screwed me over and gave us a really, really good and fun and thematic and everything we've ever wanted Dark Angels Codex. And so for some reason, I decided I got to take a break from them. That's like the 40K equivalent of like, all right, I finally married a supermodel. I think I think it's time for us to break up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know what happened there, but I, yeah, I honestly don't know why, but when the ninth edition stuff come out and the space Marines come out, uh, I just got kind of excited about this idea of an entire chapter of Primaris, you know, like, you know, the, the, uh, the gray shields and being formed into their own chapters and stuff. And so I just kind of started getting excited about the idea of building a chapter from the ground up and 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 coming up with these characters and ideas and stuff so i've been you know working on that sort of stuff and coming up with my own color scheme my own own ideas for this chapter and everything and it's it's just fun because you're not bound by you're you never are you're never bound by the rules of how you got to paint something right but as a dark angels player well you know, I've got to paint them this way and I'm going to do this and this and try to stay true to that chapter. And so I just kind of decided to come up with something different and and just start from scratch on it. So I come up with with the Iron Drakes and started painting them up, come up with their color scheme and everything. And I and just kind of went all in on it. And it kind of kind of basically the color scheme come from me just trying to piss off a buddy of mine because I I did a test scheme (laughs) and uh, he said, that's too many colors. He said, space Marines should only be one color. And I was like, "Mm, okay, well I'm going to paint this whole squad and you can deal with it. So I painted up a whole squad and, uh, and they looked awesome. So uh, yeah, you certainly have a distinct scheme with those. Like, so tell me a little bit about they're the iron drakes, right? So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about them, how you came up with the name, like what's their backstory and how do you how do you play them on the table? Like what's their what's their strategy? How did you go about choosing their traits? And stuff? Well, you know, the the idea of them come from the gray shields, uh, you know, the uh, after uh, I believe it's Indominus Crusade when when Gilliman, when they when they finish up that big crusade and they're still what was it like 30,000 or something? Primaris Marines, I think it was that weren't that weren't sent off to 
existing chapters and they were formed into these into these chapters. And one of the main reasons I started a new project was because I wanted all Primaris. And so I didn't want, so I don't put any models in this army that aren't Primaris, which sucks sometimes because I really like certain Forge World units that, <laughs> could you just please let Primaris ride in them, guys? But uh, hey, they can ride in a Thunderhawk. Thunderhawk. Well, no, that's the thing. We had talked about it. My buddy and I had talked about it because he built a Phobos ultramarines army like uh went full phobos right and he he kept trying to think he's like well can i put this 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 and i was like well how are they getting to the battlefield i said what what would insert them into the these you know this back into the you know how how would they get onto the planet and get in and out and he's like well i was like what a thunderhawk dude they they would use a thunderhawk (laughs) so he is he is uh trying if you know they'd ever be in stock, but he's he's trying to get his hands on a Thunderhawk for his for his crusade force. So he he is going to have Phobos Ultramarines uh, with a Thunderhawk. So you I know we joke you. about that, but it's going to be sick, right? I built mine during COVID. It was kind of mm-hmm. my college graduation present to myself, and then when COVID hit, and I found myself with a lot of unexpected free time, away to the Thunderhawk I went, and boy, yeah. it was quite a project. He's got his hands full whenever he gets it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've been working on a Warlord Titan for years now, and I, I, I'll go work on it a little here and there, but then it's like, well, this comes up, and this comes up, and I, yeah, I it always gets on the back burner because nobody else in my group has a Titan, so it's like, well, I'm not going to get to use that. So he just sits there, and I always come back to other projects. ADD, sorry, but the, uh, the yeah, the Iron Drake's, kind of started as that that idea of where did these gray shields go and you know that whole idea of some of them were formed into uh their own companies or into their own uh chapters and so i come up with these guys and i really didn't i didn't want to start with one of those themes of they're a dark angels successor chapter so they're going to function just like the dark angels and have you know this they're all going to be sure. wearing yeah. robes and you know broody or anything like well, that well it's, so, it's ground you've already trodden yeah yeah exactly so i one of my favorite units was the uh flamer aggressors you know because when did you ever they, they never get used because well the bolter aggressors were so much better and well now none of them are really amazing but they're sick looking models and so I was like, okay, well, I want to, I want to feature these in my army, and we got to thinking about that, and we're like, well, you know, what about salamanders? Salamanders would make these these things useful. They would be a fun, you know, a fun unit to have in a salamander's army. So, uh, we kind of started looking at that. I was like, okay, well, you know, fire. What if, what if we go, you know, like dragon themed or something like that? And then that got me thinking about when fourteen year old Ricky had this dream of having uh you know a space marine on a dragon because if if you're going to play in 40k like just turn it up to 11 right so uh i've always wanted to do that and somehow you know what almost 30 years later i finally decide it's time to do something like that so and, uh, and you started that before the new sigmar dragons got announced i know dude don't even get me started on those dragons cuz i swore sigmar off i was like i am done with sigmar and I, I literally told my buddy uh, about six months ago, I was like, the only way I am playing Sigmar 
is it was about the time the giants came out that giant army came out and you know they were talking about all the new uh, rules for the the big models yeah yeah and and i was like i was like okay look you know if i could do that with dragons i said what about if i took the giant rules and just played with dragons i said i know i could go to a tournament but like we could do that right and he's like yeah we totally do that I was like, I don't know. I was like, it's just not, it's not, I'm, I'm done with Sigmar. I'm focused on 40 K. And I said, I tell you what though, if they ever come out with a, a, you know, a dragon army, I'm in whatever. And then they announced that big, those two big ones. And I was like, oh crap. Oh crap on Nah, nah, I'm not going to do it. Cause it can't be your whole army. It's, you still got to be part of an army. Right. And I was like, they almost got me. They almost got me. And then what was it earlier this week? They announced the, uh, the, <laughs> The dragons that can be battle on. I was like, no, no. And uh, <laughs> my buddy called me. I guess he saw it at the same time and he's laughing his butt off. He's like, so you're playing Sigmar again. I was like, yeah, I'm playing Sigmar again. So, yeah, you've been that's had, coming. Ricky. Yeah, they got me. Yeah, Siri like, or, or Android it. or whatever sold you out. Yeah. Listen yeah, to your so conversations. I've. I've accepted a cookie somewhere that gave GW a direct line. They're like, well, what gets Ricky back into Sigmar? So they, they definitely did that. But uh, their marketing seems to be that specific. It very, yeah, it felt very targeted. So I don't know. I need to opt out of something somewhere. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm still working on Iron Drakes and, uh, and kind of seeing where that goes. And, I, I kind of don't have a, a big overall plan for them. I've I've kind of let the modeling kind of dictate their history and like the the lore of them and stuff. I didn't want to get so wrapped up in it that I couldn't let myself put some uh, some fun units in there. So where we're standing right now, most of my my chapter because they are Primaris, they haven't really bought into the whole dogma of the God Emperor and everything. You know, they they see the Emperor more as you know, a father figure and, and all that, not God. So they don't really get into the the worship side of it so much. So I I I keep minimal superstition on them, I guess. You know, so not most of my units don't have they're pretty straightforward of, then. Yeah, yeah. I keep them pretty straightforward and sometimes I I take some of the stuff off, but for the most part I just let it ride and don't put the little extra bits on there of little like you know, reliquaries and stuff on them. And then I did have a fun idea because uh, what's that one vehicle enhancement you can give where it gives them like a, a six up feel no pain or something. I can't, or a, an invul save or something. I'm trying to remember which the one it is. The blessed hull thing on the, are yeah. you talking about like the ba yeah, hold uh, battle trait? Yeah, traits, blessed hull. So yeah. yeah, the vehicle units battle trait, blessed hull. I gave my, one of my repulsors that and so what I did, I took one of those books that goes on the front of a, a Ravenwing land speeder for, I think, I think it's supposed to be for when you're making Samael, that, that big open book. And I put it on the front of, of the, the tank. And so he's, this tank has a bunch of this stuff on him. And so he's my first, he's my, the, the tank commander of, uh, I believe it's Shedra. I think that's the name of my tank. He's the first uh, guy in my unit to really go all in on the God Emperor and th his divine, his divinity. So he, every, the the rest of the army is pretty straightforward. And this this tank commander, he's got he's got his tank decked out, and he's he's he drank the Kool Aid. Yeah, he so, saw Celestine one time and decided to go for the you know, go for broke. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it, he got he got really lucky one day and he decided that was the emperor. So uh, it's working its way in slowly here and there. But uh, other than that, it, they're pretty much straightforward. All Primaris army. Uh, my my outriders are not on bikes though they're all of my outriders are riding uh the stormcast eternal dracoline things just to kind of go with that dragon theme so the outriders are getting modeled on that and then i'm working on a chapter master now i've got him modeled up and it's uh it's a primaris captain on the back of a, a stormcast eternal uh star drake and so that's going to be the chapter master and we're we're tweaking the rules for him now. And so that's been a fun project to just try to figure out how to, to make this thing as fun and thematic as it should be without making it uh, feel bad for other players. And that's that's a new challenge that I've never tried to do. I've never tried to make rules for a character and and put it in the game. You know, it's 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 a, it's intimidating because you don't want to be you don't want to be creating a feel bad experience for other players. But you also want to have a fun time with it. So well, you put a lot a of work challenge. into something. You want it to feel cool. Uh, yeah, right. But you also want other people to be like, oh, that's cool. And not, oh, crap. not like, all right, yeah. well, Ricky's getting out his toy again. And so yeah, I'm just going to yeah. have to deal with it. Oh, and that's that's yeah. a, that's an important part of the conversation, too, because you've been workshopping this. Uh, I think a few different groups of people I know that I've been in one of the chats and the the benchmark that you were originally looking at was like, okay, well, I want this guy to be kind of primarkish. So how's Mortarian looking right now? And then you looked at Mortarian <laughs> and your reaction to Mortarian was. Well, so, you know, I play match play. Typically the only time I've actually, I don't want to say typically the only time I've ever seen Mortarian was in a matched play game. Right. So, you know, when they adjust points, they don't really adjust power level, you know? So like, you know, you go into a game and you got Mortarian on the table. You know, that's a quarter of the army right there. That's that's Mortarian. Well, Mortarian is 25 power level, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But originally what I was looking at doing was I, I went from what I know, you know, and, uh, you know, I, the two big armies I always played were Dark Angels and Imperial Knights. And, well, it's a dragon. So flame, you know, fire breath. So I, I looked at the Knight Acheron. And I was like, okay, well, let's look at that as a base. It, it's because it's kind of got, if you think about it, if a Knight Acheron could fly, it'd be very similar to a dragon, right? It's It's got a flame breath. It's got a bunch of attacks with uh, melee weapons uh, and stuff like that. And so, and its movement, as far as rules go, is comparable to how you would think a dragon might move around. So I started there. And what was funny about it was, I basically just renamed the some of the weapons and tweaked some stuff here and there and come up with a few little things, abilities, few little abilities. And I sent it to my buddy Dave, who's a big tournament player and a very good tournament player. And so, you know, he's he's good at looking at, you know, points and balance and stuff. So he was kind of my uh first go-to on it. I didn't even want to, I didn't even want to send it to you and Paul and get laughed out of the room. You know, I was like, I'll send it to Dave. Before you guys rip me a new one on this thing, <laughs> and he he goes, he goes, man, that's that's uh that's basically a flying knight for uh twenty five power level, and I think an Acheron is like twenty two power, and he said that's that's tough to swallow, and I was like, is it? 
I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess it is. He said, you should look at Mortarian and, and, and look at Mortarian and, and go off of that. And that's when I started pestering you guys because I started <laughs> looking at Mortarian's rules. No, no, no. I, that, you know, that was a terrible yeah. idea that he gave you. Right it was a terrible idea. <laughs> it was just like, I mean, there are videos of you know, Mortarian in the beginning, like taking on an entire 2000 point army by himself. Like, yeah right that's like <laughs> but i was looking at that stuff like, to okay. swallow <laughs> okay yeah, i was like well that's better that's better that's better like all this stuff that mortarian has i was like he's got and i was talking about I, I told i was talking to one of my buddies and i was like yeah so he picks from these three warlord traits and he goes no 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 he just he gets all three of those and i was like what it was just like all this stuff that Mortarian does. And I'm sitting here looking at what I had created. And suddenly what I created was not that bad at all. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I tweaked it a little and I Thanks, sent it buddy. back to him. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is, this is going more off of Mortarian. And he's like, oh my God. And I was like, well, <laughs> this is what you suggested. Uh, but it's it's been a lot of fun to work on. I've never I've never tried to to build a unit like this, and it was fun just even just trying to put it on the data sheet and make it look like an official kind of data sheet was was kind of fun. You kind of feel like a it, you get to kind of put your your stamp on it or or put your it, you almost feel like you're getting to make rules for the game. You know, it, it's it's a neat process to do. So when you were deciding how you were going to build this guy, obviously there's a lot of, I mean, people make a lot of jokes about Stormcast Eternals just being fantasy space Marines and the crossover. Oh, of course, right? I mean, e even for the custom chapter that I'm building, I I'm looking at Stormcast Eternal parts as a way of decorating it. So that it doesn't look just like, well, I mean, let's be real. Primaris Marines are super bland. Even yeah, like the faction be, yeah. specifics, Primaris Marines. I mean, the hounds of Morkai for space wolves are reavers. They're, yeah. they're just, they're just reavers. Like there's no, yeah. there's no sanguinary guard of Primaris. There's no death company kit of Primaris. There's no personality in them. So I looking yeah. for ways to yeah. spice them up, bringing in a whole dragon from age of Sigmar. Like what are some of the things you did to make that fit in a little bit better with 40 K's aesthetic? Right. How, how does it not just look like a Stormcast unit? Uh, the easy answer, Chris, is purity seals. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, <laughs> they do the, so much, so much work. It's so little wax. Just put a just put a purity seal on there, and you're good. <laughs> but uh, realistically, it's sanding down the stormcast iconography. The that Star Trek has some shoulder pads that's got some stormcast symbols on it that I, I cut away and sand on them down smooth so that I can put Iron Drake's uh, icons on there. And even the banners, I love the banners on the Star Drake. It, it reminds me of the top of a Reaver Titan. You know how it's got those cool banners built into the model, but they have those runes in them. You know, it's got that, that iconic stormcast uh, rune, you know, on the scrolls that, which I love because they're super easy to just put a wash on and it makes them pop. But that's not going to work for for this for this unit. So um, uh, basically green stuffing, taking liquid green stuff and filling those in and then sanding them back down. And that's going to be a bit of a a bit of a chore, but it'll be worth it in the end because I want to keep those banners because 
I'm going to have some fun putting uh, like some fun little uh, litanies or something on there. And I think that'll help a lot. But believe it or not, once once you do those two things and then plop a space marine on the back of it, well, it it pretty much feels like a, a space marine thing because it's, it's just slightly more aerodynamic. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> a little more streamlined, right? But the uh, the saddle, you know, the big giant arrogant saddle that the the guy has, that actually works well for uh, a Primaris dude on there. So it's all it's all working honestly better than I thought it was going to when I started it, and a lot it's going a lot more smoothly than I thought it was going to when I initially come up with the idea and then there's a lot of stuff on there that i think i'm making some i I think when you do something like this you're going to have to make a few compromises unless you are really really good with green stuff like some of the the comet stuff on there on the wings it's got like this little comet icon built into the wing armor and i'm going to leave those because i honestly i i'm not good enough that i could go in and take those out so i i think i'll be able to incorporate that into uh his theme or his story and i, I think that'll be fine and other than that i'm going to base it up a little more 40k you know and sure. i think he'll he'll fit in great plus i mean you just i just gave the guy a gigantic uh power sword so i mean that that pretty much does it right well, how else is he going to reach his enemies if he doesn't have a big sword? Right. That's that's what I fear. I was like, well, maybe I should give him a giant lance like that would be cool, too. Yeah, but 40K <laughs> so, doesn't do lances. They you don't, don't see lances a lot. Right. So. Uh, so you've got I, I the custodian the halberd, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. just about it. Yeah. So he got a sword, but. I, I definitely toyed with the idea of a big giant spear or lance. I thought that would be cool. It kind of felt a little too on the nose though for uh like a Vulcan Histan with his with his spear. So I kind of went kind of tried to shy away from that a little. But it's it's been super fun. Like I can't wait to get him finished. I, I have realized though just how bad I am at painting scales because I've been a marine player. I, I always paint armor and now i'm trying to paint organic stuff and it's yeah i'm basically in uncharted territory but i'm i'm learning that as i go i mean when i was working on the magma droth that i was building for my fire slayers and age of sigmar mm-hmm. i found really the easiest thing to do with those scales was just to use contrast paints like i just used the black contrast paint for it yeah, I thought about that on this guy because I mean, there's the the scales on this model are so detailed; they're nice and deep that contrast paint would work really well for it. So I think that would that would probably work. Yeah, and I never. I'm terrified to try it though. That's the problem. It's like, you know, once you kind of go, you're you're kind of committed. So I'm I'm terrified to actually get going on it. So I'm I'm practicing on my uh my outriders because they're on those draca lines and I figure if I can get a good scheme on those draca lines, then I'll carry it over to the big boy. That's a good that's a good idea. I mean, I I never use contrast paints alone. I always mm-hmm. mix with some of the regular layer paints and stuff like that just to kind of make it match a little bit more with the style I've been developing over gosh, 24 yeah. years. You know <laughs> 
you know the one contrast paint I will use on its own and and not bad about it at all is apothecary white. Yeah, and winning bad. I love apothecary white. That's all the helmets on my Iron Drakes are apothecary white. So that's that's been my go-to. <laughs> Very happy with that paint. Yeah, I mean, so, you do have a a fairly colorful scheme, like on top of a sort of a silver base, using what whites and blues and greens, right? Yeah, yeah, we uh we've got blue shoulder pads with gold. They they of course they got to have gold trim. I mean, when Retributor armor is an option, why would you not use it? But uh yeah, it's silver armor with blue shoulder pads and robes with green chest plates and white helmets. So it's uh it is all over the place. So it's it sounds like a lot, but it oh, somehow yeah. came together and and it looks uh, it looks pretty neat to me. It looks pretty neat, so I'm pretty happy with it. Well, that's the most important part, really. But I mean, if you look at look at an old tapestry or a painting of medieval times of the knights, and it is like a modern version of old tales from the olden times. Everybody's in these like blacks and browns and leathers and things. All the tapestries, the knights are like party of the disco. You know, you've got yeah. bright greens and oranges and yellows and reds and things. And everybody's got a bunch of different colors all at the same time. So I think you're good, man. Yeah, I'm going with it. Yeah, we're, we're definitely too deep now. We're, we're so far in now that it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. We've come too far. Fair this enough. is the color scheme. Yeah. And I've had more compliments than I've had insults. So we're, we're good. Oh, hey, there you go. One yeah. question I do have for you. I mean, this this is one of the problems with creating customized rule sets. And I see this problem in 30K like all the time where mm -hmm. you have people who have their idea of this is the way I think the game should be played because it's not either it's not getting enough support or I have this idea or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. But then you take that somewhere else. Like say if you were to take this character to a game with somebody like they have to be okay with you bringing that along. Yeah. Do you have yeah, a group of, course, of, absolutely. Of, of people who are doing sort of something similar? Or uh, do you, how do you work out when you're going to be able to bring this? Because obviously, like, there are, are going to be some people who are not going to be okay with you bringing a custom. Of course. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's where this guy will never see matched play, obviously. This guy uh, will yeah. never, this guy will never see play against a stranger. Uh, you know, it's I, I think I think even in a friendly game to roll up in like a store and plop him down and be like, all right, here's his sheet. Uh, all of my friends agreed that this is OK. So are you good. <laughs> you know, that would be like that would be the most Chad thing you could ever do. Right. Just like it would just it would suck. Uh, I'm you know that that's not that's not good for anybody. So um, the only reason this guy is even getting made is because uh, my my group, my core group of friends that play a crusade, you know, we've been playing for a little while now. Uh, and my iron drakes are actually pretty up there. I've got a couple units that are maxed out now. And, and you know, they've, they've gotten all the way up to legendary because we we've put in some work on those guys. Um, and it, it's to the point where I've, I've been playing uh, my, my death wing army to take a little break from them while I work on some new models for them and stuff. So, we got to talking about it, and what really kind of spurred the conversation was the uh, company champion. Why is there not a Primaris company champion, right? So a company we, champion is such good rules. Yeah, great rules, right? And I can't have one because my army is all Primaris. 
And, you know, I was like, well, that sucks for me, whatever. But uh, one of the guys I play with, he he kind of said, well, you know what? What would a he said, would you mind if I made a company champion with a Primaris model? And I was being a smart aleck to him. And I was like, well, yes, I would mind that. I said, you shouldn't do that. And he's like, take the company champion, give him one more attack, one more wound and one extra power level and make him a Primaris company champion. And we just drive on and pretend that that's in the codex. And, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, OK, let's do that. You know, so we, we were talking about it. And I think there were three or four of us at, at the house at the time. And we were talking and we said, well, guys, let's just all do this. Let's all just. Let's all just make a character. Let's all make a unit and we'll workshop it with each other and let's have some fun. You know, because if, if there's one thing that we don't get enough of in ninth edition 40K is pulling out the bits, bin, uh, you know, the bits box and coming up with something cool. Cause that was the one amazing thing. That's, that's the thing I think I miss the most about Primaris Marines and the new edition is how we don't get to customize models as much. You remember when you used to be able to just go in there and make a cool character? Oh, this guy's got a thunder hammer and a storm shield and a jump pack, or this guy's got a power fist and a lightning claw. Why? I don't know, but hey, it's cool. Whatever. Right. You yeah, know? I mean, there was that whole several page list, and I think it was the fourth edition codex that mm-hmm. you could you could do like an iron halo and an adamantine mantle. And yeah. a storm shield and artificer armor. And I remember how like cool a, it was. A, a, a cherub, like a psychic yeah. familiar. You just keep going. Yeah. Uh, like you just, you could deck them out. I remember giving a guy an iron halo one time and I was like, that's so cool. I, I can give this guy an iron halo. And that was, I was when I was a kid. I didn't even realize that the iron halo was that. Uh, sometimes it was just the symbol on their armor, you know? <laughs> like, but like I actually made a little halo. Looked like some cheesy little like a uh, nativity scene halo and put on him because I didn't know any better. You know, I was like, that looks like a halo. It's cool. So uh, uh, what did your but, mom do when but, she found out about the nativity? <laughs> I made it. I didn't break it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah uh, I wasn't playing that game. But it, it's one of those things that I think a lot of us miss about that the older editions of 40K. Now, granted, we're more streamlined now. It's it's kind of easier to understand what that model on the table is without having to say okay he's got this 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 and this and here you know i i understand where they're coming from on that but i you know i i miss that i miss being able to make something that's uniquely mine and i think crusade really lends itself to that i think when you start playing narratively with like-minded friends who were open to that and open to each other's creations and ideas, I think you can really create something special and, and have those fun, those fun memories of your army on when, you know, captain so-and-so come down and, you know, come down in his Gravis armor with uh, his inceptor armor uh, with his uh, thunder hammer and storm shield, because why would you not, want to wear gravis armor with a, a jump pack and hit somebody with a thunder hammer you know and I you can't do that in match it. play <laughs> could you imagine some blood angels inceptors with all lightning claws or something as like, a matter be... of fact i can <laughs> and i have uh, it would be 
bonkers, right? And, but that's that's the fight. If you have friends that allow that and you don't mind to spend the money to make that happen, that's great. You know, go for it. Have fun with it and be open to somebody saying that's too cheap. You know, like and I think that's the thing you got to do. You can come up with any rules you want, but you have to be willing to overpay for it. You know, because it may not it may only be worth 15 power level, right? But and you have to be willing to say, okay, it's 18 power. You know, just you have to you have to give a little to get a little, I think, and be willing to let everyone just absolutely rip your creation apart and and come to a consensus. And that that's what's happened with with chapter master Basilius is that I've had at least seven people look at it and tell me yay or nay, what's good, what's bad, and where they think it should be on the power level scale. I'm not even worried about where it is on points because it's never going to see match play. So we're never going to argue, is it 480 points or is it 485 points, right? No, but who cares? It's, is he 25 power? Is he 30 power? Where, where is he, you know? And I think that makes it because it it is casual. It's, it's with your friends. It's, it's people are, are more willing to work with you on it. It's not been stressful to work on him because my friends have been, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 21 years in the military. I'm very open to criticism. <laughs> I can take it. So, you know, I've, I, I've been able to put it out there and let my friends rip it apart and tell me how ridiculous it is or, or not. And so I think that's been fun of it is I get to create something new. My friends get to help with it. And then hopefully we will get to see it on the battlefield and, uh, and see how fun, how fun it is to play against. And if it's not fun, we can always go back and change something. And I think that's one of the fun things about it is it you're kind of crowdsourcing this until it it works itself into a well-rounded unit that is thematic, it's narrative, it's it's cool and it's exciting. So I highly recommend everybody just go out and create your own unit. <laughs> it's it's fun. Go go create a unit that you think would fit in your army. And come up with a cool story for it and 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 have fun with it. Because that's I, I think at the end of the day, Crusade is about telling fun stories, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what I wanted to highlight with that question, is where there's there's a conversation that has to happen. And part of the crusade that I'm running with my my buddies Rich and Rich, and then also with Zach, is that we're we're having almost like a D session zero that'll mm-hmm. that we'll be doing just on the show, but it's, it's the opportunity for everybody to kind of have a voice in how things are going to be done. Yeah. And everybody to kind of give consent to the ideas of other people. And then I built into that campaign setting itself, kind of a, an escalation of force. So after a certain number of rounds, the types of forces and things and the, the points level of your kill team matches can increase by 25 points and your fleets get a little bit bigger as your, you know, superiors are investing more resources into the conflict. And those are the points where an event will happen. And depending on how everyone's progress is being measured, there's someone is going to take the opportunity to create a scenario for everybody to play in. That's just one of those things where it, without a group of people who agree to this sort of thing, 
it gets really difficult, especially if one of them is playing. Like you can't just show up to a store, like you said, drop this custom thing on the table and be like, all right, I expect you to be okay with me using this and expect it to go well and to make a friend, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You're not going to make a friend that way. Yeah. uh, That's just not going to happen. Now, you know, if you plop it down and say here, I would like for you to use this unit in this game (laughs) and tell me what you think of it. Maybe I think, I think that would be a fun thing, but definitely not, you know, here, let me use it against you. Uh, But I think, I, well, you'll I either find, you find like, that, like a, uh, somebody who you know is not your friend or you'll find someone who's like, I'm going to be your best friend. This is the coolest yeah, thing yeah, I've ever seen. Yeah. He, he pulls out <laughs> he pulls out his big giant book of notes and starts comparing with you. And then you're like, oh, did we just become best friends? I uh, think we so, did. <laughs> so the I, I think, you know, when it comes to that sort of thing, I think the most important thing is, is that person is that person willing to lose games on purpose? If you aren't playing narrative games with someone who is willing to be the bad guy or willing to be the loser, then I think I think you're going to run into issues. And I'm not saying that somebody should go into a game to lose it or you should never create those situations where, oh, this guy is going to lose this game. That's that's your purpose here is to play this out on the table and you lose it. I, I don't think that's the best thing, but I think I think with narrative play, I think somebody should be willing to play uh, with one hand behind their back or play, you know, at somewhat of a disadvantage because it, it suits that narrative, right? Or, or just be willing to to play a mission that isn't perfectly balanced. And I think that's when you're when you're playing narrative play and, and campaign play and stuff like that. I think that's that's important. But I also think that Crusade helps with that. If you are playing an, a, a more narrative-driven crusade, I think that's one of the things that Crusade has over matched play is that even when you lose a game, you get something out of it, right? Because that's what I love about the whole, play, yeah, the whole agenda system where maybe you lose the game game, but if you are accomplishing your agendas, even if you lose the game, you're still your units are still getting something out of that. Yeah, yeah, they're growing. They're getting experience. And so that's that's the cool thing about it is you can lose you can come at, you can come play and lose every single game of Crusade and it'll it'll take you a little longer to to get your rewards and all that stuff, but you're still going to grow. Your your army is still going to level up and they're gonna start getting more flavor about you know, and more character to each unit. And I think that's that to me is is the exciting thing about it because i i think i think we were talking about this earlier was i went and played in a tournament and every game i played in the tournament i was just sitting there thinking well i'm not getting experience for this and it just bothered me (laughs) (laughs) i've been been playing crusades so much yeah it was just like yeah i was just like man this isn't cool but hey i didn't have to roll to see if any of my guys uh took a battle scar right so uh, i guess there was that well, but, if we see each other at Adepticon again, we'll have to make sure we get a Crusade game in or something at some point. Yeah, even even if we end up even if we end up against each other in a tournament, we're just going to pull our Crusade list out and be like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll fly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get busted for it. We'll get kicked out. We'll get carded. <laughs> well, we'll just know, count the experience. We'll count the experience and move on. Right, right. Just you know, write it down on the side. Save it for later. Uh, <laughs> 
But I mean, I'm I'm going to be workshopping on the show the new chapter slash faction that I am mm-hmm. going to be creating on my own as kind of a creative exercise and 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 just my indulgence in the customization rules that are there. I I will always be a Blood Angels guy, and I will always yeah. love that faction in Warhammer 40k. But one of the things last year that I started getting interested in was the idea of creating something of my own. I did a bunch of philosophy articles and did a lot of deep thinking about Warhammer 40k and the mythology and and things like that. And I started thinking like, well, if I could poke this fiction in a place, where would I poke Mm -hmm. it? And how would I do that? How would I represent that? And there's just so much of an opportunity to do that right now. So we'll have to workshop my stuff together as well. And oh, yeah, have you come back on and we can talk about it. it. There's there's something special about that. Like when you you can go full nerd and carve your own place out in this insanely large universe. And there, there's something fun about that, about making your narrative fit in with, with the rest of it. And I, I just, I love the idea of that, you know, so have at it, dude. And, and like, seriously, like send me, if you're, if, when you start writing up unit, you know, like your your histories and stuff on them. Let me see that stuff because I love it. Like it's I spent I spent gosh, like I'm still working on the name of the sword for my chapter master. Like it's like, you know, I feel like there's there's so many important things to do when you're making units and stuff. But uh, I fully yeah, expect man. your army now to have uh, inceptors with lightning claws, though. <laughs> oh, man. Now, if they if they end up being that kind of an army, definitely. I mean, I have a hard time imagining <laughs> myself creating an army that isn't somewhat close combat oriented. It's just it's one of it's, those things like no matter what game I'm playing, no matter what universe I'm playing in, I want to be the one that goes up and fights up close. Like, I, I about it, though, right? Like, I don't know. I'm with you because it's like it's visceral I, and and yeah, and yeah. impactful. And it feels so much yeah. more. I don't know. You feel like and it's harder too most of the time. Yeah. So, well, I have, you know, uh, you know, I play Dark Angels and with Grim Resolve and everything, you want them to kind of stand there and shoot, right? But geez, I remember uh I don't know how many times I was charging with Hellblasters for crying out loud. You know, you you just and I think I think you and I were even talking about this. Like, why would you not charge with Marines? Um, you know, you got you've got all the attacks there and they've got abilities that are, are gonna make them good. And at the end of the day, a Marine is going to do work in close combat so it it always feels like you're missing out on part of the game if you don't charge so yeah you absolutely should <laughs> always yeah. what is it abc always be charging yeah that's the saying i mean i i, I didn't know that was a saying that's just a way of life for me but yeah. uh <laughs> well I'm, I'm sure i'm going to work it into to this new faction this well i don't want to spoil it too much here i'll i'll talk to you about it in private we'll and i'll i'll do some more uh discussion of it on the show here at another time but ricky it's been a real good real good conversation it feels like yeah a long time since we've done this i've really enjoyed it i like talk about something that actually knows something about for once that's uh i mean i think i think we just it was just me ranting about my army and gushing about it so i'm sorry that (laughs) about that but it's fun to talk about why i brought you here (laughs) yeah instead of just competitive stuff where i'm just like what does that do again yeah, it's fun, but uh, I, yeah, dude, we we could we could talk about Crusade for days. I I've got so much stuff to talk about and complain about and and gush about, but 
I think we could do a we could do a whole segment on just complaining about Imperial Imperial Knights in Crusade. <laughs> that's that's been my one my one negative experience in Crusade is is Imperial Knights. So oh boy, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that sometime. Maybe that'll be a a bonus segment sometime. <laughs> Ricky's bad night dreams. Um, they they need a codex that supports Crusade. That's that's all. If, uh, if well, I mean, up, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's coming. Yeah, it's coming. It'll be there. But uh, yeah, with that, I I think I'll let you go for the night. It's super late over there where you are. We're recording yeah, this. It's super late at night. Yeah, the East Coast is you know real time zone. I, I think what was it when you you told me what time we were recording and then you told me in mountain time? Yeah, mountain that's standard. Not even, I don't even think that's a real time zone. Dude. Well, I, I don't like think should, that the uh, Appalachian Mountains are real mountains. Oh, either, but call it Appalachian one more time. <laughs> I will I will find the mountain time zone and come find you. Well, uh, at least then you'll have to acknowledge it's real and that'll be the real victory for me. <laughs> Uh, I'll cr- I'll cross into it. There'll be the sign on the road, and I'll just be like, "Well, crap!" And I'll just have to turn around. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Thanks for having me, and uh, yeah, I I uh, I hope everything goes well with the podcast and everything. And definitely, yeah, have me back whenever. If it's just just for me to listen about your chapter for an hour, I will be happy to do it. Because I think any anytime somebody makes something for Crusade, I think they're probably having the most fun in 40k right now. I yeah I have a hard time disagreeing with people enjoying the way that they're playing the game. I'm lucky enough that I can enjoy a lot of different ways to play, but certainly yeah the part right now that's got me interested is Crusade. Like I right now for my Blood Angels Crusade Force, I'm I'm actually building some Hellblasters, and I've I was trying to think like what what would I do with Hellblasters because my whole 40k army's theme up to this point for my Blood Angels was something that was heresy themed like heresy armor marks right because i have all these you know mark two mark three mark four mark five marine bodies that i used in you know warhammer 40k for years and years and years and then i used yeah you know all of the 30k tanks in 40k as well because the way my hobby budget was it was like all right if i'm gonna buy something from forge world i have to buy something that i can use in 40 that works for both (laughs) yeah like you know doubling down on that investment yeah so there's this unit in 30k for the Blood Angels called the Angels Tears, and I don't know how familiar you are with destroyers in 30k, but these are the guys that use like the worst weapons, the phosphex, the rad weapons, the the biophage kind of stuff. Like the they're the ones who, if you need to destroy all life at a molecular level across an entire planet, these are the guys you call in. And they're the guys who kind of come back glowing, and all the other Marines won't stand near them. Exactly. Okay, and, I got you. And the Blood Angels had this really cool lore for theirs because they have a special unit called the Angels Tears, and they would basically make these silver masks that would cover their faces, and they would lose their identity because of the things mm-hmm. that they had to do were so terrible that they, you know, Sanguinius didn't want them to feel guilt over it, so he you know, had them put masks of himself over their faces so that he could bear the responsibility of it, and they kept no oh, records cool. of who joined it. So with yeah. these destroyers using the plasma weapons from my Inceptors and now from my Hellblasters, I've made the plasma kind of a radioactive green, and I've put like broken and battle-scarred, damaged silver face masks, and I you know, kind of wrote this little backstory for them where they, they picked up broken armor pieces from the Devastation of Ball, and 
they use that, you know, they, they were just so overwhelmed by the tragedy and the loss of all these very important and, and honorable battle brothers who they never got to meet because they're primaris. Right. Right. Uh, and so I used a bunch of 30 K bits and I've you know made some and, and hacked and slashed and created some cracked or messed up looking sanguinary guard death mask. And I gave them, you know, green glowy eyes and stuff like that. And these guys are like, this is 40 K's version of that. They are the final solution. They will blast and burn away all life. And that's kind of the, for crusade, that's the unit I'm going to be building. That's the battle traits that I'm going to be building these guys up with is something that personifies that idea. Chris, I mean, I got to step my game up now, man. Like, I feel like you're winning on the uh, the narrative part here <laughs> because that sounds really cool. Yeah, I only uh, made one unit, Ricky. You're like make, <laughs> you're making a dragon man and you have an entire like painted chapter of custom Marines. Like I'm not winning anything, but maybe we're both winning. But that was. Yeah, I, that I was gotta, my I gotta design write some more idea. backstory, I guess I'm mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. I'm I'm thinking of creating like some kind of world anvil account or something to do like major world building for my for my custom chapter. But you know, if I know how to do anything, it's, it's kill myself with too much prep work. But we'll see how yeah, that goes. Yeah. In the meantime, yeah, that's, uh, that's the, so the trick on. there, right? Is is balancing it like you're gonna you go so hard that you forget to get some games in. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. <laughs> with a new baby and like oh everything else that's going on. Uh, yeah. I, I just picture you like writing notes on your baby's forehead. Like, you know, <laughs> you got the bottle there and you're just like using the baby as a, as a, a small desk. If I could get him to hold still long enough to do it, it might be, <laughs> it might be tenable. This is the wiggliest child I've ever, I've ever seen. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming on Ricky. Let's talk again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey tough luck tonight, buddy. Yeah. Tough new hotness. More like it. Uh, sure, pal. Same time next week? Sure. See ya. <sighs> what am I gonna do about the new hotness? Commando, we need to talk. Ah, Kato Sicarius. No, it is I, Robute Gilliman, and we need to talk about your performance tonight. Aw, oh, come on, Robute. He's playing the new hotness. What can I do? Well, the Codex says to use the terrain to your advantage, not leaving your whole army set up in the open. But, Rabute, the best I can do is this packing styrofoam that came with my dad's TV. Heresy! You can do better than that. Buy some MDF terrain from Frontline Gaming. Frontline Gaming? Isn't that that company run by the guy who sounds like he has strep throat all the time? Hey, bro, not cool. Silence! Don't get distracted. This is how you forgot to bring in your reserves. But, Rabute, I don't even know what MDF means. It's woodcut with lasguns or something. It's not important. It's quality, durable terrain made for all modes of play with different themes like desert, ruined city, industrial, aliens, and more. But I hate painting terrain. It's boring. Never fear. Frontline Gaming has painting services as well. You're right, Lord Gilliman. I should order some. But how do I do that? Where do I start? Go to www.frontlinegaming.org to find out more about terrain, miniatures, painting services, hobby articles, and events. Gee, thanks, Rabute. Any more advice for your loyal force commander? Not now, commander. I have to go back and check on Marnius. 
Last time I was gone this long, the 500 worlds became the 375. Go ahead and check out www.frontlinegaming.org. Tell them the Chief Librarian sent you. Language and words have power, and that power is established by the effective or accidental transfer of information from one party to another. Words that you can't understand can still have great power over you if the ones who use them are strong enough to overpower you. In Warhammer 40k, Enuncia is a fantastical take on the power of language, drawing historical and mythological themes to create a powerful MacGuffin for narrative creators to toy around with. Today in this segment we will talk about some of the ideas, mythological themes, and instances of Enuncia's use in the Grimdark universe, as well as a general discussion about language, meaning, and narrative gaming using Enuncia as a theme. As we'll be referencing some books from Black Library, consider this your spoiler warning. Welcome to this little apocryphal corner of the Librarius, everyone. I am your chief librarian, and I am here to tell you some forbidden knowledge about a language that not even the Emperor wants you to know. This language is Enuncia. And for all the implications that it has, I'm frankly amazed that we don't hear about it more in Warhammer 40k fiction. So, what is Enuncia? Enuncia is basically a magic language. I would call it the... Language of creation. It is a series of sounds, syllables, whatever you want to call it, that when uttered, have the ability to do fantastical things. But before we get too deep into Enuncia itself in Warhammer, I wanted to take a little bit of a dive into the ideas behind words, language, power structures, and magical languages, and examples of those from our own history that could have and likely do provide some of the foundation and inspiration behind Enuncia as a concept. First, let's talk about words. So, words are basically an ordered collection of made-up sounds that are representative of things, feelings, concepts, relationships, etc., etc. And through a loose and ever-evolving set of rules, they allow meaning and understanding to pass between individuals or groups, or more often than not, it doesn't allow any understanding to pass between individuals and groups. Depending on the type of language that you're speaking, words can be composed of anything from a mixture of vowel and consonant sounds. It could be a series of clicks. It could be heavily structured. It could be very free form. But however you organize the sounds that you make, putting those sounds together in the right combination means something to the listener or perhaps nothing if they don't speak that language. But generally, even if you know that the person you're talking to can't understand you, you are trying to communicate with them, even if it's just through hand gestures. Now, many of you may know already that I'm bilingual and I speak Japanese as a second language. And in Japan, I found it very interesting that when a Chinese person and a Japanese person would interact with each other and they could not speak the same language, but they often 
used a lot of the same characters in their writing system, what they would do is they would take out their palm and they'd use their index finger to draw a character on their hand that would mean something. And the Chinese person or the Japanese person would be able to watch them drawing that, knowing the stroke orders and everything, and get the general idea of what this person was trying to ask for. It's like, oh, you want to go to the toilet? Oh, you need to wash your hands. You're looking for this kind of food. You're lost. Those meanings transcended the spoken word, but it was still a word. It was still an attempt to express meaning. And because of the extreme power that comes from being able to effectively communicate, it's no wonder that communication itself takes on oftentimes a mythological sort of magical power that knowing the certain words or the right combination of words or words in a hidden or secret language allows somebody to do something special and powerful. If you're familiar with Harry Potter, you have basically Latin is a magic language. If you're a fan of Lord of the Rings like I am, you know that there are words and names that have meaning that can cause harm to evil or good, depending on how they're used and what language they're spoken in. But these ideas don't originate in 1900s fantasy fiction. They go back hundreds and thousands of years. Personally, I've always loved the idea that names have meaning. When I named my sons, I gave them both names that had meanings that I thought were special. And 40K is no different. And sometimes it may even do this accidentally. Having a, a word or a name and names having the most meaning, but having a name that meant something in a variety of different ways added depth to a character. One example would be in Aaron Dembski Bowden's Night Lords trilogy, the names of his servants are basically old Roman Latin ways of saying numerals. It's basically the meaning behind that is you don't have your name anymore. You are a number. And that's something that's existed in real cultures in the world, not to beat a dead horse too much, but in Japanese, there was a time where people weren't allowed to have first names or or even given names. They would just be first son, second son, first daughter, second daughter. Those sorts of times meant that those names, which are now common commonplace, they're like the Steve or Bill or John of Japan. At the time, there was a specific reason why someone could or could not be named something. My favorite example of this, and I, I remember using this example when I was guesting on the Blood Angels episode of the independent characters for their show of force episode is Sanguinius. Now, Sanguine is commonly understood to mean bloody, and he was the Primarch of the Blood Angels, kind of hits the nail on the head. Sanguine also means red. It also means hopeful. And the different suffixes and prefixes that you assign to a name, es, so sanguinius, means of or belongs to. And that is also interesting because Sanguinius was raised by a tribe called the Blood. So Sanguinius, so he is the, the hope of the Blood, the Blood's hope for a brighter future. In addition to being red and terrible when his wrath was kindled, and he certainly showed his temper not only on some of the more dangerous wildlife on Balsecundus, but also to the mutants that preyed upon the tribesmen of the Blood. And so... That's an example of different sounds, different portions of a word, different meanings, adding depth to a concept or a person or a narrative beat. 
So with that in mind, let's let's talk about Enuncia and let's talk about some of its sources and some of its history. So I personally first encountered the idea of Enuncia in the 40k universe and understood it when reading through the Ravenor and Eisenhorn book series. In fact, the Ravenor series very, very closely revolves around the idea and the power behind this language, as well as the later book Magos in the Eisenhorn series has a lot to do with the usage and the power of this language. But unbeknownst to me at the time, it was also referenced in some 30K novels, such as Prospero Burns. In-universe, Enuncia is described as a language that is the first symbol system to span the gap between reality and infinity. And so far as the feats that some of those people have been able to accomplish using Enuncia when they speak it out loud is to cause harm, to unmake or tame demons, and to change the very structure of reality. So far as magic systems are concerned, 40k is definitely a soft magic system, not a hard magic system. And the difference between those, there's a really good set of videos about that. There's a YouTube channel called Hello Future Me that does an excellent breakdown of it. But to, to simplify, a soft magic system is very vague and doesn't have very clearly defined rules. Magic can happen just because. It's, it's something like, well, Gandalf is a wizard, but you don't really know what his spells are called or what his power set is or what the rules of using his magic are. But you know that he's magical and there are things that he can do that are beyond what a normal person can do, and the limitations are somewhat vague. They will vary from time to time. Whereas if you do something like, say, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series, where there is a very hard and fast, this these are the rules of using the system, and the creativity of using those rules in the fiction creates a lot of enjoyment for people thinking, oh, well, this knowing that this character can only operate this ability in this way in this tough situation creates dramatic tension. So Enuncia definitely falls into that soft magic system where it is something that has basically an infinite potential and the limitations are really up to the person using it in the story to determine. And another thing that makes Enuncia kind of a limitless bit of potential and something that it could apply to not just the imperial forces that are often the focus of Enuncia, is that you don't have to be a psyker to use this language of creation to influence the world. There are very clear examples in the Ravener series, for example, of individuals using Enuncia to accomplish either or to attempt some kind of apotheosis or the binding of powerful warp entities meaning that the warp itself is subject to this power, this ability. And because of that, and it being a sound, that opens the door for a lot of different races and factions in the Warhammer universe to use Enuncia. And of course, just having a magic language that makes something happen would be rather silly if it didn't come with some kind of a drawback. And this is also a narrative tool that lets... Let's the author put some, let's call it controls on this particular power system. So some of the drawbacks that using Enuncia can have uh, could be death, but generally speaking, it'll be in the form of shredding someone's throat or damaging their mouth, making their teeth fall out, their tongue swell up, as the power of using this 
has a, an effect or a toll on a speaker who's not prepared for it. So that's what Enuncia is. Let's talk about some of the origins. So I'm going to read this quote. It's from the most recent Siege of Terra book, Mortis. And it is a conversation between a couple of characters, all Person and John Grammaticus, at a certain point during basically a, a vision or a dream sequence. So when John Grammaticus realizes that they're surrounded by basically a lexicon of Enuncia, all says, it wasn't called that back then. Things didn't really have the names they picked up later. Enochian, Glossolalia, Enuncia, Babel. In some ways, that was the problem. Names, concepts, power, illumination. It all started here, in the fallout, like everything else. So I'll leave the wider context of that dream sequence for your own reading and enjoyment. And I do recommend you pick that up and read it because it was a very interesting and fascinating section of that book. But let's look at some of the languages that were referenced in that description by all and see what they are. So the first thing is Enochian. Now, Enochian is considered the language of the angels, and it's very much a part of the Christian mythology, though I would I would hesitate to call it part of the overall Christian mythology because it is somewhat linked to occult practices. It's not something that's in the Bible, per se. There's a person in history in the late 16th century named John Dee. They had a colleague, Edward Kelly, and they basically operated as a spirit medium or, or some kind of occultist in that respect. And the two of them together created this idea of Enochian. They said that it was delivered to them by an angel. The name Enochian comes from the name Enoch, who is a prophet of the Old Testament in the Christian scripture. As with all things that are fascinating, apocryphal, and interesting in general, this sort of basically copy-paste alphabet of symbols that were created as an alphabet alternative to the English alphabet using the same sort of sounds and things. It was very much, it was very much an English language sort of, uh, what would you call it, a filter or a, or a skin, a downloadable skin onto the language that these symbols were supposed to have power, they're supposed to be magical in some way, and it drew a lot of inspiration from old accounts of angels and power and the power of God. And according to these uh, occultists, they were the first ones to know this language since Enoch in ancient times, and that's where the name Enochian comes from. But so, so far as 40K is concerned, it is a magical language. A language of angels. And then glossolalia, which is also referenced in that passage, is basically the Christian equivalent of speaking with tongues. So you can see that there's a lot of Christian influences in this fiction, and that's not uncommon for Warhammer 40k. But even beyond that, the idea of words being magic is even older than Enochian and glossolalia, because words as truth and words representing God and God speaking words to create things is something that goes back all the way into the very beginning of the Hebrew Bible. If you read through Genesis, the first things that you see are God speaking words and saying, this should be, and then it is. And then if you look in the New Testament in the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if God is a Word, and language was the vehicle for the creation of the universe, it's no surprise then that Warhammer 40k would take an example such as that 
and turn it into Enuncia. And there's a whole huge philosophical tangent that, that is just juicy, like an, an apple on a, like a forbidden fruit on a tree that, that's begging me to dive into that. But maybe I'll save that for a philosophy article sometime in the future. But for the purposes of this discussion specifically, Enuncia is, draws inspiration from these historical and mythological influences. And it attempts to create this MacGuffin that the different factions in Warhammer 40k can pursue or use at their own risk to impact the story around them. And keep in mind that Enuncia was used to bind demons great and powerful enough to you know, possess and, and destroy worlds and to wreak untold havoc on the, on the material plane. And it was used to banish demons like that. So there is sort of this understanding that there is a warp connection or corruption connection to this. I think that comes from the original description that I read earlier, where this is sort of the bridge between the warp and reality. But like I said, this is a soft magic system. There are no hard and fast rules. And that makes it the perfect sort of playground for any of us who would like to use it in a narrative campaign. So that's what I'd like to talk about next is using Enunciate games and using it as an inspiration for a group of folks to come together and play a series of games. Now, however you structure campaigns is literally millions of different ways you can do it. You can do it however you want. If you're just wanting to test and play with this idea, then I think that it's really well suited for a, a three step gaming campaign where it's basically a series of three games and then the campaign wraps up. But if you wanted to do something that's a little bit bigger and longer, you could certainly use the Crusade system or any of the other campaign systems that are out there to track the record of characters, factions, armies, hunting down portions of Anuncia. But you would want to clearly articulate at the beginning of the campaign what exactly is the motivation for this faction trying to get Anuncia. And this can be challenging depending on the armies that are available, because if you're like me, you have a group of friends who they have a favorite army they like to play. Some people don't have more than one army. And sometimes the flavor of a particular campaign doesn't necessarily fit in with the army composition of your friends or your playgroup. But that's one of the things that I why I wanted to talk about Enuncias, because it is flexible enough that I think you could even make it apply to some difficult factions such as the Tyranids. Now, naturally, Imperial versus Chaos, pursuit of Enuncia as the language or, or the expansion of their lexicon of Enuncia, that's a really easy sort of scenario to, to justify. I even just look at some of the more recent releases like, like uh, Grey Knights versus Thousand Suns. Enuncia is absolutely the sort of very high cost, high power, changing fate, changing the structure of reality thing that a sorcerer like Ariman would go nuts for. And it is exactly the sort of thing that the Grey Knights would want to try and keep from falling into the hands of powerful chaos sorcerers. But those are those are the easy things. And I want to talk about some of the more difficult or more interesting possible reasons that different factions would want to pursue Enuncia as objectives in a game of Warhammer. So let's start with some of the Xenos factions. I mean, Imperium and Chaos, I feel pretty comfortable. We understand why they would want to either obtain or prevent from obtaining from, from either side this language. 
But take a faction like the Necrons. Now, if you gave the Necrons the ability to change reality based on words that they spoke, sounds that they made, what would they do with it? Well, for many, that might be the way that they change their bodies back to flesh or restore their souls. Because if a soft magic system like this can do anything with the proper mastery, they could potentially restore themselves, rewrite reality to suit their desires. So if you are a Necron overlord who is obsessed with the idea of returning to the flesh, you could make that the objective of your campaign if you were in a campaign where the main objective was the pursuit of Enuncia and, and creating a kind of lexicon for that. Because remember, you don't have to be a psyker in order to use it. Now let's look at some of the other creative examples for other Xenos factions. Let's start with the Drukari, the Dark Eldar. So the low-hanging fruit of Drukari is it would make someone hurt really good. I mean, it would create a way to draw out pain. But in a mixed Dark Eldar, Eldar faction, using that as a way to sever the spirit's connection to Slanesh, now that would be an interesting motivation. What if the payoff for that was now when you die, your soul doesn't get sucked up by Slanesh because you learned enough of these words of creation to sever Slanesh's power over your soul? What would it cost you to do that? Now that's an interesting question, and I like the idea more. I mean, it seems like a very easy uh, craft world Eldar sort of thing to pursue, but for the Drukhari, imagine the reasons that an Archon would want to do that. For example, if an Archon was exiled from the Dark City and wasn't sure how to regain power or buy his influence back into the Dark City and the courts there, well, if he found a way to free himself from the hunger and if he could sell that ability to somebody back there, how much power would that be worth? Or it could just be a redemption arc, a Dark Eldar redemption. Who there, I said it. Unlikeliest of unlikelies. But there it is. You could create a path to redemption for your Dark Eldar Archon and his Cabal. Those are a couple of the different Eldari ideas I can think of. Then Harlequins are an easy choice for just a little bit of chaos, so to speak, to be thrown into that mix, wanting or not wanting somebody to get a hold of this. And it would be the greatest joke if the words that were learned by the Eldari actually made the problem worse or caused some other kind of effect because the laughing god stuck his little laughy fingers into that problem. Next, let's talk about the Tau. Now, what are some of the reasons that Tau would want to use this? Now, this is exactly the sort of thing that a, a, an imaginary secular Tau empire would think, ah, nah, this isn't real. But what if this is the secret to how the Ethereals are controlling the other Tau and say this battlesuit commanding general of a Farsight enclave wanted to figure out how to free the Tau race from the control of the Ethereals? Would this language be the key to doing that? Or would the Ethereal be looking for ways to control new species in an easier way or perhaps tame the warps beasts and Force order onto them. Now that is a possibility. There are a few different creative ways, and I encourage anybody think about your faction, think about what this language 
could do for your faction or for your custom branch of that faction's goals. Orcs are probably the easiest and the hardest at the same time, which is, it sounds perfectly orky to me. It could be something as simple as, I want to learn the word that makes me the biggest and the greenest. Or it could be, I want to become one of the mythical brain boys. And it, it would be a comedy of errors as not knowing what a brain boy was, just speaking the words and its teeth falling out and using that as a way of getting rich because the teeth keep growing back because of the words of creation that he's using. Now, this uh, orcs are easy to get kind of wacky and fun and wild with it. But, I mean, the only reason that an orc needs to pursue something is because it sees somebody else wanting it more and deciding, no, actually, I want it the most. I seem to remember reading in the lore there is an orc war boss who wants to ride his bike through space. Now, would Anuncia allow him to do that? I think the Speedwa says yes. Now, on the subject of chaos, I know that the sort of opposition of chaos and chaos-seeking power is kind of a cliche at this point. Naturally, they're always looking for the easy way to obtain power quickly, regardless of the consequences. But what if there was a chaos lord who was looking to break some of the power that he surrendered to chaos? What if you try to have a demon prince sever his connection to the warp and return back to mortality? Or what if there was an Astartes with enough regrets or some other kind of uncommon chaos motivation, a desire to free himself from the bonds and the slavery to darkness that he brought upon himself through his rebellion? What would that look like? And again, I know this might be somewhat of a theme with me, a, a, a redemption arc. It couldn't, it doesn't necessarily even have to be redemption. It could just be, I do not want to be dominated by these powers. I want to obtain eternal life my own way, and I do not wish to be a slave to darkness. So that is a, a motivation for chaos that could go just beyond the, well, I want to be a demon prince and I want to blah, 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 blah. It's, it's something that's a little bit more outside the box. So let's get to the juiciest one I've got, the Tyranids. Now, I grew up fighting against Tyranids. It was my brother's army, and my best friend plays Tyranids, and it seems like I can't get through events or, or a year in my life without <laughs> encountering Tyranids in one form or another, whether it be tabletop or video games. But Tyranids are defined by their sort of unknowable hunger. It's the hunger is everything and they are all it and it is all them. There is no individual in the Tyranid High Fleets. It's one of those things we take for granted in Warhammer lore. But what if during a battle, say with a Chaos Sorcerer or with a Grey Knight or with an Eldari, that in an act of final desperation surrounded by the forces of the High Fleet and about to be consumed, this sorcerer or this warrior or this leader decided to shout a word at a swarm lord bio creature or some other, what would you say, synapse creature, a zoanthrope, whatever it may be. And the power of this word severed this creature's connection from the hive mind and gave it independence. What would that look like? And how would this new independence begin to think and act? understanding what it is as an individual now and what it could do for those around it. Could you create a Tyranid that had a motivation beyond just hunger? What would that look like? 
Enuncia allows you to kind of break that traditional mold and gives you an opportunity to think, well, what if I'm not the hive mind anymore? What if I am the hive tyrant? And I'm hungry for more than just biomass now. So those are just a few examples using some of the different Xenos races as to the kinds of motivations that would allow them to fit into some kind of a crusade campaign or a narrative mission set built around Enuncia. And the sorts of things that you can do in game with that, it's the sky's the limit, right? You could do something where you have a very large, you know, one of the old six by four table sizes and you have a game master hide Enuncia tokens around his objectives and force sev several different kill teams to search through a set of ruins, ancient ruins, or a ruined city in search of a cogitator or some kind of lost text or record of an ancient civilization that knew this language of creation, it, at least in some form or in some part, and trying to pursue those and you could create different enuncia sounds based on the different objective markers you put out there and allow the faction that obtains them their leader to use those in games of warhammer and have that do wacky and wild things think think something like wild magic table from dungeons and dragons have fun with it get creative and enjoy sort of this fantasy of having an ability to change the fundamental structure of Warhammer, which includes all of its tropes, to your benefit, to your desires. So that is my little summary and spiel about Enuncia. It's a lore subject that I haven't really seen come up too often in discussions online or in games. And I thought I'd throw this out there and see if there is anybody who wanted to do that. If you like these ideas and you and your game group end up using Enuncia as a motivation or as a theme for a campaign, please let me know. Uh, send me a message at my Facebook page, facebook.com slash brothercaptainmorgan, my page, Captain Morgan's Librarius, and I would love to hear about your campaign idea for that and how it all turns out. So with that out of the way, uh, we will end this segment on Enuncia, and I can't wait to talk to you again about the next lore apocryphal moment in the Librarius. Cheers. Well, thank you everybody for staying with me this long and listening to the last couple of segments here on The Chief Librarian. I hope you had a good time. I certainly did in both recording and preparing this content for you guys. Uh, whatever this, whatever you like about it, if there's, if there's more stuff like Annuncia you want to hear about, if you're looking for more campaign ideas, or if you're just interested in listening to me blather on about cool lore concepts, let me know. Give me feedback send me a message or post on my wall 
on my Facebook page, Captain Morgan's Librarius. That's really the easiest way to get a hold of me and provide feedback on the show. Now, so far as the next episode goes, I have a couple of ideas lined up and I have to line up some of the schedules. But one of the things that I'm really looking forward to talking about for sure in the next segment is an interview I'm doing with Lou Rollins. Now, Lou is the first ITC hobby track champion. And I know Lou from tournament gaming, but also just from being a very prominent member of the community. Lou is a very passionate and avid Death Watch player who has put a lot of time and love into his work as a Death Watch player. I remember the first game I played against Lou was the 8th edition, and I remember a a particular encounter with my Blood Angels Death Company Smash Captain. And in honor of that game, Lou actually created a Blood Angels Smash Captain in memory of that game. And he's done that for several influential games or memorable experiences he's had on the table. So we're going to talk to him about that a little bit. But more than anything else, Lou is a dad and Lou has brought his kids into the hobby. He's brought his sons to tournaments and things. And I wanted to talk to him about how you bring family in and how you make your hobby something that you can enjoy, not just alone, not something that takes away from your time with your family, but something that enriches it. So look forward to that conversation with him in the next episode. Now, the other segment that I would like to record, it's going to depend a little bit on getting schedules to line up, is the Session Zero for the Diadem War, which is the crusade campaign that I'm starting with Rich, Orky Rich, and Zach. I have the packet prepared. I just need to doll it up, make it a little bit fancy, and we will hopefully all be able to sit around the table together and discuss the campaign packet, talk about our warlords, do a session zero, set the stage, roll the dice to see who's going to be fighting who, and set the first game for our narrative campaign. And I'm hoping to be able to do that. It may not happen. It all depends on scheduling. If it doesn't, I'll have another equally good segment available for you at that time. And finally, I would like to end the episode with a huge thank you to Greg Dan from the Imperial Truth Podcast and his help in getting some of the books together to have signed by Guy Haley over in England. When I was looking to get some hardback books to get signed by Guy Haley to send over for the War Games for Warriors charity event, I was trying to find hardback copies online and I just couldn't do it. But Greg, with his connections over there, was able to find those, including that (laughs) amazing copy of Darkness in the Blood, which was so generously donated by someone whose name I don't even know. Thank you, person. You are amazing. I can't believe you did that, but I am nonetheless very grateful for it. And I just wanted to give a very special shout out and a very special thank you to Greg for his help in doing that. And the coordination of doing all that, getting the books together from a bunch of different sources, getting them sent over to Guy, having Guy able to send them to me in America. It was quite a challenge and we just in the nick of time made it and it wouldn't have been possible without his help. So thank you so much, Greg. And thank you so much, Guy Haley and Graham McNeil and Darius Hinks for donating the signatures and the books in the name of our good cause. So that is all that I have for you today. I hope very much 
that you enjoyed what I had to say today and that you will enjoy the things I have to say to you in the future. But until next time, let us leave the Librarius. Hey, you. Yes, you. Right there. You are listening to the Frontline Gaming Network. So what does that mean? That means that you have access to a bunch of different and interesting shows. Right now, I'm listening to a lot of Signals from the Frontline because who has time nowadays to follow on your own and get all of the latest news in the gaming hobby? It is streamed every Wednesday, and I never catch it for the stream, but I do catch it later. I especially enjoy Kicker's commentary. He is 40k Hype Man USA, and I challenge anyone, I dare you, to try and prove me wrong or to upstage the hype that is Kicker Kalazdi. So, with my recommendation in hand, go and listen to Signals from the Frontline on the Frontline Gaming Network. I am Chris Morgan, and you are listening to a Creative Commons licensed podcast, Some Rights Reserved.